Hey, welcome to the Bible Savvy Podcast, a weekly conversation on how to understand, enjoy, and apply God's Word. I'm your host, Nikki Lucas, and I'm joined by Executive Pastor Eric Ferris and Teaching Pastor Clayton Keenan. We're about to jump into another passage from the Bible Savvy reading schedule, but before we do, guys, one year anniversary is next, coming. Next week. Next week. Not it's this coming. episode. The, the next one. The next episode. Yes. Exactly. It's coming. One year anniversary episode. It's a big deal. It is. It's going to be a retrospective. It's going to be great. It's going to be fun. We're going to vote on best lines and best moments, and people are going to share. How do they share? It's a good question. How do they share, Nikki? They can email us at podcast at biblesavvy.com. And what would they email us? They're going to write in. Ways that they have uh, fun, well, their favorite moments. Yes. Share your favorite moments from the first year of the podcast. Yes. They're going to share how the Bible Savvy podcast and the reading schedule has helped them. If it has. If it has. That's right. And then they're Let's going... not be presumptuous about how effective well, we mean, are. we hope. We hope it <laughs> Doing has what we're trying way. to do. I mean, if not, if, if, gosh, if our Bible Savvy observations have not helped, then at least tease, you know, they've, they've learned how to, you know, do something tea. with tea, tea. or... They've learned what piddling is, you know, so... You're right. Certainly sure people we, have benefited somehow I'm from our podcast. sure it's helped them somehow. Then they can also share with us when and where they normally listen and how they listen to the podcast. Yeah, we really want to know that for yeah. sure. Actually, we want to know all three of those all things. All three of those things. They could, they could write in. They what can. else could they do? They can also send us an MP4, which is a sound clip, not a video clip, a sound clip, audio. Audio. If... Oh. About 30 seconds about or less, 30 right? About 30 seconds or less. You could share in one of those three categories, and we're not promising you that you will be on the podcast, but there is the possibility that your voice could be heard on the podcast. We will be reading what people submit. We will be playing audio files. We will be talking about a year, what it's been like for the three of us who didn't know each other very well when we started this podcast. So we've gotten to know each other while we've been doing this podcast over the course of a year, so we're going to have a good time. One-year anniversary episode next week. Can't wait. All right, so what are we talking about today? All right, we're going to be in the book of Joshua. So this is our, our first episode in the book of Joshua. We just started reading it this week. And so let me give you some context for this book. Uh, the book begins right after the death of Moses. So we've read the entire Pentateuch, uh, which tells the story of how Moses led the people of Israel uh, out of slavery in Egypt and it, right to the edge of the promised land. And so this uh, this it's like the culmination of all the things that God has said, I'm going to do this, I'm going to bring you into a land, I'm going to make you a great people. And then Moses does not get to go into the land, he dies on the outside, but they appoint Joshua, God appoints Joshua to be the next leader, to lead them into the land. And so uh, we're about to hear kind of how this all happens. So we've read for a couple of chapters here uh, about kind of Joshua preparing, and they've kind of scoped out the land, uh, and they're about to go in, and the first city they're going to see is Jericho. So uh, this is a kind of a, a famous story. It's often in kids' Bibles and stuff like that, the Battle of Jericho, but this is right before that happens, okay? So immediately before the passage we're about to read... The people of Israel get to the edge of the, the Jordan River, and they walk across the river, and just like with the Red Sea, it parts, and they walk across on dry, dry ground. And now they're there right in the land, and they are about to go to battle, but there's something they need to do first. And I've picked this passage 
precisely because it's weird, okay? So I'm gonna admit that this is kind of a bizarro thing, but that's why we're gonna talk about it. Because the other things you're probably gonna figure out, you know, the Battle of Jericho and Joshua and all this stuff. But this one you might be scratching your head about. So uh, Eric, if you would read Joshua chapter five, verses two through 12. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeath, I have no idea how to say that next word, at a place. Now, this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the desert on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the desert during the journey from Egypt had not. The Israelites had moved about in the desert 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land that he had solemnly promised their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place. And these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. After the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. On the evening of the fourteenth day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread, and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate of the produce of Canaan. All right. Well, let's start with some observations. Verse O and comma. What do you guys see here? A lot of explanation lots about of, circumcision. Lots of history. Yeah. So there's there's a repeated word here that you probably uh, notice more than others, circumcision, uh, which is uh, <laughs> kind of a weird one. Okay. So if you're, you've been a Bible reader for a little while, you have... Uh, perhaps come across this because it's uh, significant in the Bible, uh, but it is the sort of thing that most people don't know what to do with. They might understand what it is, obviously, but uh, the the understanding why it's important or uh, what you know what to even do about it. Um, for example, how do you talk about it in a small group? You know what I mean. Uh, we've been reading in the Book of Romans. And it comes up in Romans. It's like a really important book, and you might be discussing that with with the people around you, and you're like. Uh, let's just not talk about this. So we're going to talk about it so that it, we can uh, make a little bit of sense out of it. Um, here's the story of how circumcision came about. Abraham. Tell us a story, <laughs> Dad. Tell us the story. <laughs> story time with Clayton. The, the person that God calls to become the nation of Israel is Abraham. And the thing about Abraham is that he and his wife cannot have children. And this is this is... Uh, both a great sorrow in their life, but it's also uh, a, a kind of puts them in an, in an impossible position. Because when God comes to them and says, "You are going to be a great nation. You're going to have lots of children. Uh, you're going to you're going to you know as many as the stars in the sky." This couple that's infertile, it's it's something that cannot be done. They're now they're now in their nineties. They don't have children. Can't happen. And then God gives them this symbol. Say Abraham you are going to get circumcised, essentially marking your reproductive organ, and at the same time, giving them a promise of saying, you have lots and lots of children. So this is not a random arbitrary thing. It is connected 
to the promise that would that there would be new generations of God's people again and again and again, essentially saying, Abraham, you will have a future. You will have a future. And so the entire people from then on are told, every boy that's born, you got to circumcise him. It's a way of saying, who, who does the future depend on in this community? Not us. Not us. The next generation isn't going to come because of our power. It's not going to, uh, the future isn't going to happen because we're strong. In fact, we started as people who were impotent and powerless and unable to uh, provide a future for ourselves. And so there's something about entering into the community through this way that God says it's really important that my people get marked by this. Now, you might hear that and say, that still sounds super bizarre. And it kind of is. But for them to say, this is the thing that marks us off as God's people um, is, is a, an important sign of obedience. Because they're saying, do you want to be a part of this community that depends on God or not? And the fact that they wouldn't circumcise their kids is a sign of saying they don't get the whole idea, the whole idea that God provides for us a future. Uh, and so that's why uh, they've got to get circumcised here. All right, so what else do you guys see in the text here? Like I already said, there's just there's a ton of history, um, and of course that story proves it too. Uh, in the text, one of the things that I saw it was interesting to me. I had to I had to read it a couple of times in order to actually pick up what it was saying. But uh, verse twelve it says the manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate uh, the produce of of Canaan. And I thought. Oh, that part of their story was that when they were wandering in the wilderness all those years, God would provide manna, just bread for them to eat, and they would go and they'd collect it every morning, and they would gather just enough. And if they gathered too much, then it would go bad, right? And that whole idea was like, no, I'm only going to provide for you this day. You're just going to trust me that you're going to have what you need. And then here they are, they're entering into this new land, and now God's actually providing for them a different kind of food. So the manna goes away, but now they have this produce, you know what I mean? And it, but it's still the sign of God's provision. Like I provided for you this way then, and now I'm going to provide for you this way now. I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. And if you think about it, it's all trusting a promise, right? If you're collecting the manna and you're only collecting enough for today, you're trusting God's promise that he's going to provide it again tomorrow. And when you go into the promised land that's oh, flowing with go. milk and honey, you are trusting that that land is going to be everything that God has promised. So no matter what, it's a matter of faith and trust in God's promises. Yes. I was, uh, my observation is, <laughs> just what made me laugh. <laughs> Sometimes my imagination when I read the Bible is funny. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they were all healed. So I <laughs> just think of like a mash unit with like a bunch of people just laying around moaning and groaning until they heal. I just... That's what my imagination does sometimes when I read the Bible. I see here uh, the uh, the mention of Passover. It's important that they celebrated the Passover. Um, you know, one of the things, that it, uh, if, if you probably don't recall, but it, one of the details in uh, announcing the Passover is that if you were going to celebrate it, you needed to be circumcised. So there's like a, 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 like a condition to be met here. But it also means that since none of these men had been circumcised, that meant for 40 years they probably hadn't celebrated the Passover which is, is a really big deal, considering that their parents were the generation that got set free from Egypt, that they, they were the ones who were supposed to remember, this is how God set us free. And the Passover was the way they, every single year, they would kind of reenact the night that they were set free from slavery. And so this generation 
is saying, we can't forget this. We've got to actually do it and recall that we were slaves, we couldn't free ourselves, and then God set us free miraculously. Whoa, say that again. Who didn't celebrate the Passover for a long time? The, okay, so you've got the, you've got the generation that comes out of, uh, out of slavery in Egypt, and they're the ones who don't circumcise their kids. And one of the conditions to celebrate Passover is you got to be circumcised, which means either they, they broke all the rules or they had not been celebrating the Passover until this point. Whoa, which way do you think? It's probably a little bit of both, but it which way do you think it played out? They just weren't circumcised and still celebrated, like, you know, you're culturally celebrating the Passover, but not fully doing it the way that the Lord told you to? I don't know. I, it's, it's bizarre, but this is, the, this is also the, the generation. They, think of what happened to them. They, everywhere they went, they, they would stop and they'd complain. And God, you know, they'd, they'd just be like, let's go back to Egypt. We were better as slaves, you know? Or they, they got to the promised land and they refused to go in. So this is the generation that God condemned and left in the wilderness, so I'm not sure that they're doing any of it right. And at some point, they certainly seemed like they had forgotten what God had done for them. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, let's go on to the next M in comma, which is message. What message do you get out of this passage? Uh, mine was just from that, that uh, verse 12, uh, God provides just enough of what we need when we need it. That's not just, uh, it's, it's not like, I don't, I don't just mean it in terms of food, but I mean like, Anything, a mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, what he provides what we need when we need it. Mine is associated with that. If if we're thinking about circumcision as a like a physical reminder of God's promises and God's provision, then I'm back to my thought when I when I take circumcision and I remember God's promises to Abraham and I look at the collection of the manna, which is God's promise to provide every day, the message I'm drawing out of this is that walking with God to be the people of God requires trusting in the promises of God. Yeah, I like that. that I, I thought of something similar, uh, thinking about the circumcision, the Passover, and the manna. All three of those are uh, kind of indicators that it doesn't depend on us. The next generation doesn't depend on us. Getting free from slavery, God had to do that. Providing our food the next day, God has to do that. So uh, these acts of obedience are meant to remind you that you you need to trust God. So uh, my message is that obedience is the way we show that we trust God for our future. All right, let's, let's shift to meditation, the next M and comma. And I want to ask the question, um, have you give you about 45 seconds to ponder this, or if you need to take more time to ponder it, you can pause and, and you can do this. But I want to ask the question, what area of your life are you not trusting God with your future? Or perhaps you want to ask the question, what area of you, your life are you not trusting God with your obedience? Then in some way, you're, you're either not trusting Him for what's to come, or you're not trusting him enough to obey what he says to do now. 45 seconds, ponder that.
All right, let's talk about A, application. How do we respond to this passage? I want to slightly change your question. Is that okay if yeah, I change the game? totally. When you ask the question, in what ways are you not trusting God with your future? I have two of my kids are young adults. And when your kids are young adults, you, you get into this awkward place of your parenting role switching from raising, telling them what to do, to like encourager slash sounding board slash coach. But you've pretty much already raised them. And so my application for this one is uh, trusting God with my kids' future. Hmm. Uh, and that is not always an easy thing for parents to do. Um, so, yeah, that's my application. To, to in my prayer time, do, do that, that act of telling God, like, I'm trusting you, I, they're yours anyway. Like, that just has to be a handoff. Yeah, I, um, I mean, I feel like I think we uh, alluded to what the application that is in some of our messages is that idea of trusting God to, to provide. Um, but for me, um, I, can, I can go through the motions of saying, God, I trust you with this particular situation, but where I find myself late, like, like lately in general is like, I can say that I trust him and I can mean that. But then it's like I'm I'm looking for like, well, okay, but what what can or what what do I what can I do to fix this situation? How can I move this along? And I think it's this active, it's this active um, uh, trusting. You know what I mean? Like you're trusting in God, um, but then you you actually actively have to look and say, okay, well, is there a a, a part in this that I can um, that maybe God is saying, okay, this is something that you need to do. You know what I mean? So I, I don't, I don't know how to like say that and then like fully do it sometimes, I guess you could say. Like I can say it. I don't know sometimes how to fully do it. Yeah, I totally get that. And uh, honestly, sometimes what the Lord asks us to do seems so weird or like, I don't understand how me doing that would solve anything. And that's where the obedience comes in. You, Mm -hmm. you, you trust the promises of God, you trust that he's at work, and if he asks you to do something like circumcise all of your, all the males, right, you do it, even if you don't understand why, and then trust God for the outcome. Yeah, yeah I think about some acts of obedience, they, they require us to trust God with our future, you know, like, simple things, like simply telling the truth in a situation that it wouldn't be convenient, because mm-hmm. you kind of have to say, God, I trust you, that if I actually do what you ask me to do, that you're going to take care of how this is going to work out, or uh, you know, being generous. You say, "Well, I'm going to g- you know give this," or being sexually faithful. Like, well, you know, it's a, like there are all sorts of things where what you're really thinking about is how's this going to turn out? Am I going to get it when I need? Are you going to follow through on this? And the reason we're disobedient is because we don't actually think that God's going to do that. So our, our act of obedience is, in, in fact, an act of trust. Mm-hmm. Um, for my own application, I I'm thinking about um, the ways that that these these symbols in this passage are reminders of things that God has done in the past. And sometimes the way you build your trust for what's coming in the future is by recalling, look at what he did in the past, you know, he did, or for even in the past for my family or for my church in the past or whatever, these things that you say, God's been faithful before. He provided for Abraham. He provided for the, the slaves in Egypt. He, he provided for the manna in the wilderness. Like you remember those kinds of things in your own life and that builds your trust for the things that comes, come next. 
Um, I did actually think of one other application that isn't for myself, but it may be for some of you who are listening. Um, and it's related to the idea of circumcision. So in the New Testament, um, you know, circumcision in the Old Testament is the way people sort of get into the community of faith. You know, that's what kind of their initiation into it. Um, it's changed in the New Testament. The people who get into uh, the community of, of uh, believers, the first thing they do to kind of mark that, symbolize that, is baptism. And so the New Testament kind of compares these two as kind of initiation uh, into the community. It's kind of the first act of obedience you're supposed to do. There may be some of you who are listening who uh, you're, you're followers of Christ, but you have not taken that first uh, initial step to say, I'm going to get baptized and do this. So, um, you know, it's never too late that this community in Joshua, they had a long time that they should have done it, and they didn't. Uh, so we, we've got baptisms at our church coming up uh, in, in a couple of months here, so you can sign up for that. Uh, or if you're not uh, from Christ Community Church, uh, find find your church and, and get baptized there. So That's a really good, that's a really good point, Glenn. That was a really good point. Yeah. All right. Well, there you have it, friends. That's all that we have for you this week. We hope that you're going to join us next Monday. No, that's not all we have. That's not all we have. No. Oh, my gosh. I do want to remind you that in just a couple of days, okay, so this episode comes out on a Monday. On uh, on Thursday, we've got a Bible Savvy Workshop on the book of Joshua. So if you want to get more context, more information about this book, uh, we've got that. You can register online, in person. We've got that. But... Where do they go to register, though? Uh, BibleSavvy.com. There we go. BibleSavvy.com. <laughs> hey, if you're reading in the Bible Savvy reading schedule and you like the fact that sometimes we bounce back and forth between the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, that was my idea. If you hate it <laughs> and you're really frustrated by it, Clayton is the creator of the Bible Savvy reading schedule. Okay, honestly, I had nothing to do with it. Clayton is the creator of the Bible Savvy reading schedule, and his Bible Savvy workshops on the Old Testament books are really good. Yep. What else do we need to talk to them about? The, 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 one, year? the one year anniversary? Oh, yes. Reminder, friends. One year anniversary is coming up. So if you want to write in... Coming up. Next week. Yeah. That's not just like coming up like as some no. ambiguously distant next thing that's a coming. It's week. Oh, nope. yeah. Here it comes, y'all. Next week. Next Monday. What? That's a yes. good... <laughs> that was good. I like both of those. I like both of those, By too. the way, you know, we've we've talked multiple times about my new sound effects panel on my iPad. He's forgotten. Which I have. You're talking about I have, like a year. <laughs> <laughs> well, at first I was trying to get someone to buy it, and then I relented and just bought it myself. Uh, I keep forgetting it at my house, but it's going to be unveiled next week. Next week. Next at week. At the one-year anniversary, one anniversary episode. And in the meantime, you guys can be sending in your... The, all the things that we said earlier in this episode, right in, favorite send an moment. audio clip. Favorite moments. Favorite moments. Where when do you and listen? Where. Yeah, when and where do you listen? How the Bible Savvy podcast and Bible Savvy reading schedule has helped you, if it has. If not, you can tell us about how you've learned about tea or... Anything else. Definitions that we've revealed to you. That like is Piddle. true. It's all those things. We have helped your, with people's... Your favorite snacktivities. Snacktivities. We have helped with people's vocabularies. And you know, we, you know what we haven't said yet about the one-year anniversary episode? What? about all of the Bible Savvy Podcast merch that will be released on the day of the one-year anniversary episode. Mm. This is a big deal. You could be reading your Bible Savvy schedule, listening to the Bible Savvy Podcast, drinking coffee out of your Bible Savvy Podcast mug, along with other things. This this is a game changer. There's going to be a mug? There's going to be a mug with other things. But we're not going to say what the other things are. Oh. Wow, the, I'm excited. And we're not going to. And we're not I'm telling excited. you right now where to get your Bible savvy merch. Told, I don't even know this either. <laughs> this is hot off the presses. Wow. Maybe Our I'm just. Our producer ma- might know. I don't know. 
No, wow. she, she doesn't know. I just <laughs> I just made this all up right now. She just told me she no, knows a little bit. No. So, okay. No, I, I've looked at the catalog of things mm-hmm. on which we can slap Bible Savvy Podcast logos and other slogans from the podcast. And so I've got a working list in my head. Okay. It's going to be a good list of Bible Savvy merch. I can't yes. wait. All right. Well, friends, join us next Monday for the one-year anniversary episode. I am so fired up about that. I can't tell you what we're going to be talking about because we're going to be talking about a ton of stuff, like we just said. So send your stuff in. In the meantime, go to BibleSavvy.com, log on and, and sign up for Clayton's workshop. Log on. Log on. Register. <laughs> there we go. Register for the, for the workshop. Get your 400 free hours from AOL discs. Download the log Bible on. Savvy reading schedule if you haven't. Hook up your modem and log on. Send in stuff to podcast at BibleSavvy.com and we will see you next week. No, Not we'll hear you. us. You, we will hear you. We'll be celebrating with them next week. We'll be talking to you. This is great. We can't wait to see you guys next Monday. Peace.